It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 26 of Sports Day Plus. At 6.45, where are we at in society? How about some of the biggest lies that commercial airline pilots have to tell customers? At 6.15, it is the first of a two-segment chat with my friend Tarek LaCour, who, amongst other things, is a writer for Hook'em Headlines. We're talking Longhorn football. And yes, in mere seconds, the Texas Longhorns make their first-ever four-team college football playoff. I am your host, Trey Elling. Give me a follow on Twitter at Courtesy Wave. And do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Well, how about it, Longhorn fans? What a performance for this Longhorn football team on Saturday, late morning, early afternoon at AT AT&T Stadium in Arlington. All gas, no breaks has been Steve Sarkeesian's mantra here at Texas for three years now. And... His team epitomized that in a shellacking of Oklahoma State on Saturday, 49-21. The Longhorns got it going early and never really let up. And even though Oklahoma would score the occasional touchdown here and there, they did finish with 21 points after all. As soon as Texas got that first three and out and took four plays to take a 7-0 lead, you felt very good about the prediction that many of us made leading into that game was that the Longhorns were going to win and win big. This is a series that has been filled with the bizarre. Texas being down more than up, Oklahoma State being better than Texas many of those years, and in the Mike Gundy era, Oklahoma State really owning the Longhorns. But like with every other regular Big 12 foe that Texas has played for a final time, This year or last year in the case of West Virginia, the exception being Oklahoma, who is coming with Texas to the SEC, of course, the Longhorns end that series as the victor. They did so with TCU, with Baylor, with Texas Tech, with Kansas, with Kansas State, West Virginia, Iowa State, and yes, now the Oklahoma State Cowboys fall victim as well. Quinn Ewers... Sets a Big 12 record in the process. Throws more than 350 yards in the first half alone. Finishes with a conference championship game record. 452 passing yards to go along with four touchdowns and a single interception. 100-yard efforts out of A.D. Mitchell and J.T. Sanders. Xavier Worthy contributed quite a bit as well before he had to leave the game with an ankle injury, which thankfully he gets several weeks to help heal up. And the run game which was somewhat pedestrian, got a huge boost from Keelan Robinson, a guy who has really seen his role increase with the loss of Jonathan Brooks a few games ago. Brooks, of course, not playing anymore this year thanks to a season-ending knee injury. Great moment for him at the end of that game on Saturday, by the way, getting to be on the field for that final kneel down as Arch Manning took the football from center, knelt and then went back and gave the ball to uh, Jonathan Brooks, who was standing about five years behind Manning. The offensive line looks like they are clicking on all cylinders right now. A number of examples, a number of examples of those guys running downfield to help their ball carrying teammate finish off a play, gaining a few extra yards in the process. And then defensively, There wasn't any one individual effort that stood out, but I think that's one of the things that is so 
spectacular about this defense is it does feel like a true team effort. Still some concerns in the secondary. Oklahoma State found some success throwing the football, but at a certain point, you do have to chalk that up to the Texas defense being willing to give a little bit more in front of them versus letting an Oklahoma State Cowboy player get behind them. And that will obviously be huge for the Longhorns' next matchup in the CFP semifinal against Washington at the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans on January 1st. 7.45 kickoff for that one, and Longhorn fans are jacked to be a part of that. But just a great way for Texas to end their time in the Big 12, capturing that final conference championship. And yes, Longhorn fans at AT AT&T Stadium really letting Brett Yormark have it as he was speaking to the crowd and congratulating Texas and handing off that championship trophy to Steve Sarkeesian. Even Sark, who, by the way, you heard Brett Yormark on this show last week. I really don't think the guy is malicious. I understand Texas fans don't like him, and I get where the animosity comes from, but I'd like to think this is a little bit of Michael Jordan just holding on to something a little bit too tightly for the sake of embracing the hate and remaining that much more motivated to win at the highest levels. Brett Yormark's not not that bad of a dude. I'm sorry, he's not. And as he said on this show last week, he and Steve Sarkeesian was friends. Sark was trying to calm the crowd down, but unfortunately, uh, Texas fans were not listening to their head football coach in that process. And it was one of those moments that we will all be able to think back on less than a week ago, but years from now, and have a chuckle at that Brett Yormark was uh, being a salesman in the moment and showing some support for Texas Tech. And in the process, he pissed off a fan base that uh, you better be careful about how you piss them off if you have to face them at any point in the near future. I mean, gosh, if Texas fans... If Brett Yormark's in front of Texas fans years from now, he may still get that response. This is going to turn into a a Gary Bettman in the NHL situation or Goodell in the NFL, Adam Silver in the NBA. I mean, pick a conference commissioner or a uh, league commissioner, and uh, Brett Yormark will probably be dealing with that from Texas fans and, let's be honest, Oklahoma fans going forward. But after the Longhorns won that game and Alabama beat Georgia, believe it or not, I felt 100% confident that Texas was going to make it into the college football playoff. Because as much as we've worried about the college football playoff committee being involved in shenanigans or making the wrong decision, they've been pretty consistent with keeping Texas ahead of Alabama in the rankings, even as Alabama was seemingly playing better football at times in the second half of the season. And so at that point, I knew it was going to come down to either Florida State, if they beat Louisville, or Alabama. And I thought if Florida State won their game, they would be in. But oh boy, was I wrong. And I get the rationale by the college football playoff committee in putting Alabama in over Florida State because as they've said all along, their job is to get the four best teams playing against one another for a championship at the end of the season. Alabama-Michigan is a better matchup than Michigan-Florida State. Even if Florida State gets their backup quarterback back for that game, which they should. I mean, he suffered a head injury, came out on Sunday, wasn't able to play the following Saturday, and it was an ugly game for Florida State. But I think it's also selling Florida State short to make it seem like because Jordan Travis isn't on that team, that football team sucks. Statistically, one of the best defenses in college football. They've got great skill guys on offense, and 
You can look back to that Ohio State team a few years ago that won it all with their third-string quarterback, Cardale Jones. Like, yeah, he was better in the Big Ten championship game. He didn't have to make a ton of throws in that game. I want to say, like, 13 completions in that game or something. That was really much more about Ezekiel Elliott and a really good Ohio State defense. But Florida State fans are going to have to live with that one for a while because, yes, it is Alabama and Michigan and the Texas Longhorns against the Washington Huskies. I'll admit, amongst the three possible matchups for Texas, well, I guess two, if you take Alabama out of the equation because it wasn't going to be Alabama versus Texas, I would have rather played Michigan because Washington and what they do best plays into the Longhorns' biggest uh, weakness on either side of the ball. That would be pass defense. And I think they have a chance to set up a good run game, an underrated run game, by throwing to set up the run. And if that happens and they control time of possession, it could be a problem for Texas. But ultimately, Texas may be as well-rounded a team as exists in this playoff because they're that good defensively and that good on offense too. All year long, you've heard me talk about why I feel confident that this Texas football team can accomplish great things is because of their defense. I feel like that started a flip now. That's not to say... I don't have faith in this defense. Best defensive line in the country. The linebackers have been great. We've seen positive moments from secondary guys. But the offense has been clicking on all cylinders as well. We will continue this conversation on the other side with my friend Tarek LaCour. He covers Longhorn football for Hook'em Headlines as well as being a PhD student at UT in philosophy and physics. Multi-segment conversation with Tarek coming up on the other side. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. There are plenty of people excited about this Texas Longhorn football team making it to the college football playoff semifinal, a matchup with Washington on New Year's night in New Orleans. One of those excited folks who is also somebody who covers the team and is uh, one of the sharpest dudes that I know, and you may know as a result of you following him on Twitter, is Tarek LaCour. He is a grad PhD in philosophy and physics at the University of Texas. That's not where he covers them, though. He covers them as a writer for Hook'em Headlines, and he joins me now for a couple of seconds to talk about things. Uh, Tarek, always a pleasure. How are you doing today? Trey, thanks for having me on. I'm doing great. I couldn't be better when you uh, win the Big 12 title, you're in the playoff and killing it on the recruiting trail. So life is good. And it's the holiday season, so happy holidays, everyone. (laughs) Uh, Nice uh, way way to slip that in there at the end there, Tark. What has been the thing that you've enjoyed the most about this Texas Longhorn football team in 2023? I've liked their versatility every game they seem to find a different way to win and they just find a way to win they seem to have gotten a will to win and just they seem to be as former texas basketball coach chris beard and sark have both said they seem to hate losing more than anything else and they just keep finding ways to get it done i also like that they're they seem to be getting better week to week like the offensive line has come a very long way from the Rice game to today. Quinn Ewers obviously is very much improved. And uh, this is just a very complete football team. I think it's not an overstatement to say 
that of the four teams in the college football playoff, Texas may be the most complete team. Didn't I, think I would say that at the end of the year, at the beginning of the year. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm thinking about the other three teams, and I, I feel like Washington has an argument there, and I think Michigan does too, but Texas is right there in the mix, and I would uh, certainly say all three of those teams are, are more complete than what Alabama is, even though they have uh, obviously shown some market improvements from game two and then game three of the year where they lost to Texas and then played a, a, an unnecessarily close one with uh, South Florida, which was the result of Nick Saban doing what at times was uh, being openly questioned by people and benching Jalen Milrow, but clearly that worked off because Milrow has turned into a very different quarterback the second half of the season. Yeah, that uh, they. I would also have they played a very unnecessarily close game with Auburn, but that's, true. Uh, I guess I guess that game. I guess with rivalry games, you can give that a pass. But that's not to say that Texas is the best team. I just think that Texas has you know a good passing game, good running game, good and good on defense. Uh, where I, I I feel like Washington elite passing team don't fear them as a running team. Um, Alabama, I think, is becoming very, very complete. I think Milrow's getting better and better. Um, <clears throat> although they don't have the receivers that, say, like a Washington does, or that they used to have when, when Sark was there, uh, or and actually a little before that. Michigan, they're the most blue-collar team, which makes sense being from the Big Ten area, but they certainly didn't seem very excited to be playing Alabama when they got that conference uh when, when that playoff with bracket came well when the alternate was or the alternative was florida state and look florida state is being slighted we can talk a little bit about them too i would much rather play florida state with their second or third string quarterback even as good as that defense and some of their skill guys are than an alabama team uh that uh that auburn game be damned has uh, looked much better between those two squads over the last month yeah there's no question about that i uh but for Texas, I think it couldn't have played out any better as the revenge tour gets to continue playing against Washington. I was re-watching that game, and the thing to remember is Texas only lost by a touchdown in that game, but they had lost 80% of their rushing in B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson. They uh, you know, were out uh, DeMarvin Overshone, so had some very key players out that game. Still kept it within a score. And also had some very key drops from Xavier Worthy, but Worthy won't ha- won't be the have to be the only guy getting targets in this uh, rematch. You have a very com- uh, terrific receiver, Nadine Mitchell, complimenting him to Tavian Sanders, look- looking like he's getting healthier and playing very well. Uh, C.J. Baxter playing well, Jaden Blue's playing well, Keelan Robinson's playing well. So the offense is really going to be quite different than the one we saw in San Antonio uh, a little over uh, almost a year ago. Obviously, there were some legitimate questions being asked about what this team was going to do at running back when Jonathan Brooks went down. Just so important to this team's successes up to the point that he suffered that season-ending knee injury. But credit to all those three guys you just listed, and also Steve Sarkeesian for putting those guys in good positions more often than not to really accentuate their strengths to allow them uh, to be the best version of their running back selves that they can be. Yeah, I, uh, my friend on Twitter, 40 Acres Land, had been calling for Jaden Blue to get a shot, and he, 
he's done really well when he's done that. Uh, Cedric Baxter is seeing the holes differently and being more decisive than he was earlier in the year. Keelan Robinson still reminding you of the speed that he's gotten. I've also been very impressed in the little time he's been out there with Trey Weisner when he, he's a very strong runner and very, and very explosive. He's obviously done well on special teams and don't forget about Savion red. Although I do not ever want to see the red cat again. I think I'm happy to have that retired. Yeah, I think that's one of those things also, though, Tarek, where with the Red Cat, like as long as it remains a bit of a novelty and you're not trying to roll it out there for consecutive plays or three or four plays in a row, then it can still be somewhat effective. But when a novelty becomes the norm, that luster wears off and all of a sudden you lose that ability to uh, to pick up short yardage. But this team has also gotten better in short yardage situations over the last couple of games now. They went with the Philly shove formation. Uh, against Oklahoma State this last weekend, and they handed it off to J.T. Sanders, who was who was uh, motioning across the line of scrimmage, which was a hugely effective play. It picked up well more than the yard or so that was needed in that moment. And then uh, also throwing it to your big guys on that uh, jumbo formation, whether it's Byron Murphy or Devondre Sweat, g- just gives one more thing for a uh, defense to think about, either down at the goal line or uh, a fourth and short scenario. Would have liked to have seen some of that against Oklahoma, but better late than never. And I don't think anyone would have thought when we kicked off that game that the defensive player of the year would score more touchdowns than the offensive player of the year for the <laughs> Big Twelve. That was, but that was a, it was a great thing. I mean, I I don't I don't think I've been more impressed in recent memory than any player than Tavondre Sweat. He's just been he's just been incredible. Yeah, and that picture has been floating around for a little bit more than a week now of him coming out of high school compared to uh, to what he looks like now. It's just a, a testament to the work that he's put in and then also the uh, strength and conditioning program for the Longhorns too of uh, getting that guy uh, physically ready to be the best defensive lineman in the country in 2023. And I thought it was a good sign of good things to come when Devondre Sweat was lined up next to Sadir Mitchell. Uh, as we know, Devondre Sweat will be moving on, but Sadir Mitchell is already as big, if not bigger, than Devondre Sweat, and he's an immovable object, and he's been able to learn from Sweat, and I look forward to seeing him play in the coming years. Uh, Byron Murphy has also been incredible, but he's been that way for the last two years, so nothing to be surprised about there, but yeah, it is pretty incredible to look at Devondre Sweat when he came in from high school to now, and it's just uncanny to see a man who's over 360 pounds move like that, as Eric Nalim calls them uh, inside Texas. He's definitely a dancing bear. <laughs> he is that, and he's likely the uh, the Longhorn who hears his name called first at April's NFL draft, I would assume in the first round, but if not the first round, early in the second round. Now, another guy that uh, people have wondered about over uh, the last several weeks now as to whether or not he's going to go pro or come back for one more season is Quinn Ewers. You are uh, the driver of the Quinn Ewers fan club bus. That was the case last year. You stuck with him through the hard times, and it's paying off right now because Quinn, really starting with last year's bowl game against Washington, has been a completely different player, and those changes have stuck, and they've uh, been a huge positive for him 
on the field as a leader. Uh, I would imagine that's carrying over into his personal life as well, though I, I, I really could care uh, care significantly less about that. Uh, do you think Quinn Ewers uh, goes pro once the season is over with, or uh, do you think we see him for one more year in Austin? <clears throat> well, obviously, Quinn is the only one who could answer that question, but I think it's in his best interest to come back. I think we saw tremendous growth this year from him. He's getting to his second, uh, and even in the last few weeks, getting to his second and third reads. He saw that a lot in the Oklahoma State game. But I think that having 30 or more starts under his belt, and there's very good data to back this up, if you have over 30 starts, when you go to the NFL, your longevity and your career will last a lot longer if you have that. So I Mm -hmm. think it would be best for him to come back. As well, I don't think he's quite as ready as, say, a Caleb Williams, Drake May, or the person he'll be playing in, Michael Penix, to jump to the league. That's not to say that Quinn couldn't leave this year and do well. I think in the right situation, he could. Say, for example, if he could get to someone like a Sean McVay in the L.A. Rams, I think that would be a very good situation for him if he went pro and he landed there. But I think it would be better... For him to come back for one more year, uh, play in the SEC, and uh, also this would be the best situation for Texas because I think it's it will be good for Arch Manning to sit another year and uh, you know continue to develop behind Quinn, most likely as the number two, I would assume. I don't think Malik and Arch are both going to stay if Quinn comes back. But uh, yeah, I think it's best for best for Quinn to come back for one more year, but if he decides to go, go ahead. You wish him the best. He is Tark Kaur, not only a grad PhD in philosophy and physics at UT Austin, but also a writer for Hook'em Headlines. He's joined me for a couple of seconds to talk about this Longhorn football team and their upcoming matchup in the Sugar Bowl against Washington and that college football playoff semifinal. Coming up, one more segment with Tark on the other side. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Back with Tarek LaCour here on Sports Day Plus. He is a grad PhD in philosophy and physics at University of Texas, Austin, as well as a Hook'em Headlines writer. And he has a, uh, a very common presence on Twitter. You can find him on Twitter at Real. Scientistic. That's right. Real scientistic. Probably already following him by now, though, if you are a Longhorn football fan. And uh, Tarek, we will get into the college football playoff and just the general decisions that were made with regards to those final four teams. I did want to ask you a little bit more about this Texas-Washington matchup, though, because uh, you said it last segment, and I agree that Texas has an argument to be the most complete football team of these final four right now. Theoretically, the Washington matchup was the worst of the three potential matchups for Texas because they are so good at throwing the football. And if this Longhorn football team has a weakness right now, it is the secondary's ability to cover. So how big a concern is this Washington passing attack for guys like Ryan Watts, Terrence Brooks, Gavin Holmes, the safeties, which we've seen a uh, sort of a, a shuffle of safeties throughout the course of the season. Well, you'd have to be blind to not be concerned. Obviously, Michael Penix is perhaps the best thrower of the football, the best thrower of the football that uh, Texas will face this season. 
obviously three very good receivers in Roma Dunzier and uh, the others. <clears throat> and as you say, the secondary has been hit or miss. Some 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 games they played very well, and some games it's been pretty scary, uh, giving up obviously a lot of plays as they did to Josh Hoover and TCU and uh, to a, a, uh, to another extent Kansas State. <laughs> Excuse me, Kansas State's uh, well, formerly Kansas State's Will Howard, so who are not as good as Penix, and those receivers aren't as good. So, yeah, it's a real concern. And also, you didn't mention this, but Derek Williams looks like he will be out of the first half of the Sugar Bowl. So that's that's a real concern. It is uh, a cheering note that Ryan Watt should be healthy and manning one of the corner side corners. I think the secondary plays a lot better when he's out there. And luckily, one thing that gives me some optimism is that Pete Kwiatkowski has been at his best as a defensive coordinator when he's coordinated against these type of air raid type schemes that he did in the past. Uh, He was very good at shutting down Washington State when he was at uh, Washington and coaching against Mike Leach. The Washington offense is obviously different than that, but similar concepts. So I think with a month to prepare, I think Pete Kwiatkowski will have the defense ready and get them in a good position to succeed, although you're not going to completely shut this uh, Washington team down. Although Arizona kind of did. I think, mm. I think it was either Arizona or Arizona State where they they were just – they, they think they had needed a pick six to win at the end, so – it can be done. Yeah, and then Oregon State did a pretty good job too. Now that was uh, those were really awful conditions in Corvallis that night, but that was a twenty to twenty-two to twenty final score. I'll tell you one of the reasons why Washington concerns me, Tarek, is not just the passing attack. It's because I think they're a little bit underrated as a running football team. As Penix and his receivers have dealt with injury issues and struggled here and there over the second half of the season, Dylan Johnson as that team starting running back and Belkow running back did a great job of uh, picking up huge chunks of yardage. I feel like his, his really coming out party started against Oregon the first time around, but uh, he is a talented running back. And if there's a way to get at this Texas run defense, it's throwing to set up the run, which we've seen teams try to do over the last few games, believe it or not. It's just the passing attack wasn't good enough to really open things up on the inside. Washington may have the ability to do that. And if they start winning the time of possession battle, that's where it gets concerning for the Longhorns. But ultimately, you're right. Texas isn't going to completely shut Washington out. It may need to be a bit of a, uh, a shootout with the Texas offense keeping pace at times or forcing the Washington defense to keep pace. And strangely... Even though the most faith that I had for this football team through most of the year was because the defense was so good, I feel like the Texas offense is now the biggest reason for optimism as as to them maybe accomplishing even greater things this postseason. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, Washington certainly will be the team that could throw to set up the run, although I feel, <clears throat> still feel it's going to be very difficult to run on Devondre Sweat and Byron Murphy. But, uh, yeah, Texas is really going to have to be creative and show different types of coverages in front to Michael Penix. Uh, Jade Barron is going to have to have a much better game than he did against Oklahoma State because I have a feeling that 
Kalen DeBoer, who I think is one of the best coaches in the country, probably watched some of that film and said, hey, why don't we just keep throwing it deep? Because we actually have the guys who can make the play, and I'm not sure they have the guys who can do that consistently. So we will see a lot of that, and uh, this is going to come down to I, I don't worry about the linebackers in Ford and Hill, and I don't worry about the defensive line, but the DBs are going to likely win or lose this game for us. Yeah, you are probably right about that. Now, as far as the college football playoff committee deciding on the final four teams, it uh, created quite a stir after Florida State was able to come out victorious in the ACC championship game on Saturday night. It was an ugly game, but they still won by double digits over Louisville, which is the second best team in the ACC. They go undefeated on the year. Even still, Alabama gets that fourth and final slot. Uh, What did you think about the playoff committee's decision to include Alabama over Florida State? They need to just rename the college football playoff the Nick Saban Invitational at this point because I think he's been an 8 out of 10, and he's (laughs) gotten the four spot a few times, as I recall. But the problem with the college football playoff, this goes beyond Florida State or anyone else, is you had four spots for five conference champions, so you basically created a system where every year someone was going to... You had had the potential for someone to be screwed over, and I think that was Florida State this year. It would have made more sense if they had moved Texas or Alabama up earlier before... the final uh, call was coming because then at least Florida State would have kind of known, okay, there's, we're not going to be able to get in there. To leave them at three when you knew it was going to be a slug out at the game and at the ACC championship game for them to win it and then be left out over. Ultimately, it should have went this way. Yes, I get that they lost Jordan Travis, but they went 13-0. and They won a conference championship. They scheduled LSU. And... Um, so I think they should have gotten that third spot, and the debate should have been Alabama, Texas, and Georgia, in which case I think Texas had the best argument for the fourth spot. That's why I think it should have went. But obviously I don't have a say in that, and it's kind of ironic, too, that the ACC's Jim Phillips yeah. kept saying, yeah, well, we don't want to talk about expansion right now. We need to work on regulating NIL, which conferences can't do, but – <laughs> okay, focus on it anyway. So that's uh, that's really unfortunate for them, and I uh, felt bad for Jordan Travis and Mike Norvell and that team. They put out, they had a great season, and they should have been rewarded with a shot at the championship. Yeah, yeah. The bottom line, even if the Jordan Travis rationale comes into play, is that it's insulting to Florida State to make it seem like they were a one-trick pony. That is statistically one of the best defenses in the country. And they have really good skill guys, too. On the outside, a couple of wide receivers who will likely be in the NFL in in the next few years, including a guy that's projected as a first-rounder right now. And uh, good running backs, also. Like, the reason they were able to score a touchdown on Saturday is because they went wildcat, and uh, one of the running uh, running backs broke off a couple of really nice runs. So, uh, it's a shame for Florida State fans. But by the same token, I think we can all agree that the Michigan-Alabama matchup is better than Michigan-Florida State, too. So, in a way, they did what they said they were going to do all along, and that's get the four best teams playing against one another. Oh, no, that I definitely agree with. I I don't think Florida State was one of the four best teams. I just think it was 
hard to justify a 13 and 0 conference champion not being in. That would, if you're just saying the best teams, I would have agreed with that. And in fact, I think if that was what you were saying, it's hard to argue Georgia wasn't a top four team. I know. That, see, it gets tricky when you start to go down that road, which is why you needed to strip some this of that away and say clear Florida, guidelines of what you, what to do. It's like Florida State was undefeated in a Power Five conference. It's that simple. Like if all four undefeated teams had won on Friday and Saturday, those were the four teams that should play in the college football playoff. We're at, the, we're at this weird point in time where humans are, are making these decisions, and the factors go beyond very simple statistics. Although very telling statistics, too, because, again, you're talking about an undefeated football team that played LSU in the non-conference schedule and went through a conference that did have good competition. It's not like we're talking about the AAC here. We're talking about the ACC. And when you do talk, uh, start discussing the best four best teams, I mean, Georgia lost their first game in, what, three seasons on Saturday against an Alabama team that is also in the playoff right now. So do you bump Texas at that point? But you can't bump Texas because they beat Alabama. It turned into a giant mess. And the bottom line is, and this was maybe uh, getting at the point you were about to make with Jim Phillips and the uh, very foolish alliance that was formed between the Pac-12, Big Ten, and ACC a few years ago as a sort of power play against Texas and OU joining the SEC, is that they screwed themselves in that process because the expanded playoffs should have been happening this year. It's not. And as a result, one of those ACC schools was left in the dark. And their consolation prize, by the way, is going to be to uh, get to play a Georgia team that may very well be without uh, a number of guys who have opted out to prepare for the NFL draft. But a Georgia football team that's also probably going to be pretty pissed off that they were left out of the playoff. Hold that thought, Tarek. I'm going to uh, keep you for one more segment if you're cool with that. He is Tarek LaCour, not only a Ph.D. grad student at UT for philosophy and physics, but he also writes for Hook'em Headlines, and he has joined me for a couple of segments to talk about this Longhorn football team. Continue that conversation for a couple more minutes on the other side. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Back with one more segment with Tarek LaCour. He is a Ph.D. grad student at the University of Texas in philosophy and physics, as well as a writer for Hook'em Headlines. And uh, Tarek, I wanted to give you a chance to respond to what I was just saying about Florida State getting screwed by the college football playoff committee on Sunday. Yeah, I agree with that uh, 100%. And I think it's a little ironic when you think about it last year that TCU lost their, time, their lost the conference championship by three points to Kansas State, who was a 9-3 and nine and three team at the time. But they actually didn't move at all. They stayed at three and made the playoffs. And then Georgia had been number one, lost by three to Alabama, and then they dropped to number six. So <laughs> it's a very... Very interesting rationales going on there. But ultimately, <clears throat> I mean, uh, give the college football committee, uh, football playoff committee uh, credit for at least saying, as Boo Kerrigan said, like, look, the reason for he, he, he pretty much blatantly said the reason they're not going is because Jordan Travis isn't there and I don't want to watch that game. Yep. So what you kind of knew was going to happen when Kirk Herb Street went on that big rant of, I don't want to see blowout games. I want to see good games in the college football playoff. It's like, okay, when you guys start saying that, <clears throat> I think we kind of know what's coming. But um, 
Although, and, and last of all, you know, shout out to Kirk Herbstreet and Reese Davis and a few other the national talking heads who the week prior to the uh, final uh, selection had gotten on Boo Kerrigan for saying, how in the world is Texas at seven rather than at five when they have a better record than Oregon? And uh, But I guess in the end, it was it was fine because I think uh, Quinn Ewers had a better passing percentage than Bo Nix that last game. So that's uh, that's all that really matters, right? Yeah, apparently uh, completion percentage is a, a big determining factor in college football playoffs. I was just blown away when he said that. I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, let's not act like there haven't been blowouts in the college football playoffs, semifinals, or championship games. Just think back to last year, TCU-Georgia. That was a huge mismatch on paper. People had a feeling that was going to be a lopsided game, and sure enough, it was. Yeah, you, you, there's just no there's no way of really predicting these things because I don't think anyone thought that uh, TCU, upon making it, would win a semifinal game, but they blew out Michigan, basically, for that entire game. So, you never know. This is, again, yet another reason why I think Florida State should have been in the, been in the mix. I'm going back the last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I'm going back the last eleven semifinal games. All but two were double digit wins for the team that went on to play for a national championship. So uh, blowouts are a possibility, even when you think you may have the four best teams too. So you just, I mean, it's sports. The reason why we play these games and don't just let computers simulate them all day long is because you can never truly accurately predict what's going to happen. That's part of the great aspects of sports, right? Yep. I think one of the best aspects. And I, although I will say, I don't think there will be any blowouts in these four, in these two games. I think we'll see pretty, uh, close games yes i agree with that and if there is a blowout possibility with regards to potential championship game matchups it's texas alabama i think texas beats alabama worse if they play a second time do you really yeah i think i think alabama matches up wonderfully with texas or texas matches up wonderfully if alabama is what i meant Hmm. interesting i would I don't think there are any blowouts. I think the one that have the most potential for blowout is Alabama versus Michigan because I'm just not that impressed with Michigan's offense. Sure. So, well, and they're minus uh, their best offensive they, lineman they, now. They, I mean, there there are reasons. There were valid arguments for Washington to be to be ranked number one over Michigan, and ultimately the the playoff committee decided otherwise. But yeah, I get that. Yeah. Uh, what. what It'll be quite a thing if uh, Jim Harbaugh is able to uh, win it all right before he walks away to the NFL, which we don't know that's going to happen. So, all right, one more uh, one one more unrelated question, unrelated sports question before we get to your uh, your prediction for Texas Washington right now, Tarek. You are a uh, a grad PhD student in philosophy and physics at UT. What do you want That's to right. do with that degree or with that dual degree? Well, I'd like to either be a professor somewhere or I'd like to go into research in physics somewhere. So there's lots of things you can kind of 
doing physics because it's always changing, always expanding, and it's a very exciting time with what we're discovering with uh, black holes and white holes and things like that. So, so you would want idea. to study space? Yes, yeah, space, uh, uh, especially uh, the uh, basically uh, the effects of general relativity and com- combining that with quantum theory. Man. Well, good luck with that. All right, last question now. What's your uh, what's your prediction on December 5th uh, with regards to the Longhorns matchup with the Huskies on Jan 1? All right. I think Texas will continue the revenge tour. They will get to the national championship. I'm going to say Texas 37, Washington 30. 37-30. He is Tarek LaCour, a grad PhD student in philosophy and physics at the University of Texas, as well as a writer for Hook'em Headlines. Check him out on Twitter at Real Scientistic. Tarek, always a pleasure, man. Uh, Maybe we do this again one more time before the game gets going. Yep, Trey, let's, uh, let's do that. Thank you so much for having me. All right, we are down the stretch in today's show, which means it's time for... Where are we at in society today? That's right. It is your regular look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will bring a story that provides a sense of optimism. It has us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out. But sadly, today is not that day. And we go to the skies for tonight's story, specifically... Whether or not you're being told the truth when you're on an airplane that is maybe experiencing some delays. You see, airline pilots have taken to Reddit under the veil of anonymity to talk about the biggest lies that they have to tell customers from time to time. Any guesses on what those biggest lies are? Well, we can start with that mechanical failure or that maintenance update or mechanical delay, however you want to phrase it, oftentimes that is code according to anonymous airline pilots, commercial airline pilots on Reddit. That is code for the skies being too clogged or the runways being too clogged or they're just not being a place for your plane to go one way or the other. So it's going to have to stay grounded for a little bit longer. And saying that there's a mechanical issue that's going to be addressed will theoretically put people at ease and say, well, my goodness, please take care of that mechanical issue because we want to be safe in the skies. It's a great psychological tactic to get people off your backs. Here's the problem, though. When you're still at the gate or stuck on the runway hours later, All of a sudden, I think people get wise to the fact that there wasn't actually a mechanical issue, but rather there was maybe some mismanagement. I'm not going to throw air traffic control under the bus. Maybe there were delays, weather delays or otherwise in other places that are affecting your flight too, even if the skies are crystal clear and it seems like everything should be a go. It's a trickle-down effect. There's not one culprit here necessarily. It's just a sad reality of the system at times. But that begets the next lie according to anonymous commercial airline pilots. 
And that would be, don't worry, we're running a few minutes behind, but we're going to try and make some time up in the air. They can't really do that all that much. There's a tiny bit that you can make up, but for the most part, they are telling you that to try and put you at ease, even if, in reality, you're not getting there all that much quicker. But I will give the airlines credit for having fun with numbers, if you will. How often have you left on time from your gate, from your airport, and gotten to that other airport pretty early as compared to what the estimated time of arrival was? It's, I would say, a regular occurrence. Well, guess what? They give themselves that buffer because if they are a little bit delayed, they can still get you there on time by picking up the pace or... Even if it's a little bit later than that ETA, hey, it's only 10 minutes later, despite the fact that you were 30 minutes late getting off the ground. That is fun with numbers. As Mark Twain once said, three types of lies, lies, damned lies, and statistics. That is a basic stat that the airlines have done a great job of using to their advantage because you either get happy customers who are to their destination early or... Customers who aren't as happy, but still relieved to be getting to that locale on time or relatively close to on time. And then you have those worst case scenarios where you are significantly delayed, if not canceled altogether. That's rare though. I've flown a fair amount in my life. I've never had a flight canceled altogether. And the ones that have been delayed significantly... Well, fortunately, there wasn't a connecting flight on the other end. That's when it gets really bad, too. All right, that is it for another edition of Sports Day Plus. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll be back tomorrow at 6, and it includes a two-segment conversation with my friend Justin Wells of Inside Texas. You know we're going to talk some Longhorn football right here on Sports Day Plus. In the meantime, hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.